Okay. I'll just take a, a brief moment here and just uh, exhort you with a thought that I have. You're, this is a very familiar scripture, John 14, 6. You know, the thing I love about the word church is that they are always exalting the word and the name of Jesus. You know, you can't separate Jesus from the word. You realize that. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then we find out the word became flesh. How did it become flesh? And the son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus himself, his own testimony was, I am the, I am the way, I am the, and I am the, so no matter what I'm facing in life, if I will look to Jesus, he's going to show me the right way to walk in. Amen. He's always going to tell me the truth. And when I follow after him and I believe what he's telling me, he promises that I'm going to have life. So my prayer for each and every one of you tonight is to know Jesus in a new and intimate way, more so than you've ever known him before. You know, there's always, Pastor John said this, there's always deeper places to go in God, right? He satisfies the hungry heart. So no matter how hungry I am, there's still more in God that I can have. And so as I approach the table that he sets before, me. He's going to reveal truth to my inner man and bring me into a place of life. So my prayer for you is that you would walk in the fullness of all that God has for each and every one of you, increasing in the knowledge of God and always bringing glory to him. Amen. Amen. We sure love you. We're thankful to be here with you tonight. Glory to God. Amen. Thank you all very much. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, she gets up like that in the morning. She goes to bed like that at night. She's like that at any given time in the middle of the day. She's always, her bias, her bias is towards believing God. Her bias is towards trusting the word and trusting the Lord. Uh, it's just hard to squeeze any unbelief pastor. You, you can't really do it. You can't really do it. And I'm very blessed, very fortunate to have her both as my wife and as my helper. She keeps me, she keeps me solid. She keeps me strong, and we're grateful. And we are grateful for you all. Uh, we're profoundly grateful for our relationship with, with uh, Brownie and, and Pastor John and Tia and for David in years gone by, for the time we've had with your church. Some of you have known me, and I've known you for many, many years, and I'm so grateful I'm so grateful for each and every one of you, and I thank God for the chance to be able to spend any time with you. I respect you. I honor you for the work that you've done. I am confident that your best days are still ahead of you, that growth and increase and spiritual prosperity are coming your way abundantly, and uh, I just am so thankful that you let us come be with you. And we feel, we feel honored to be in your presence, to be in your midst. And that's, that's the truth of it. I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 14, if you would. And we're, we're going to talk about being in Jesus. Uh, when Gene and I first got born again, and this, this was a message that uh, uh, changed our lives, uh, that strengthened us, that keeps us even to these, to these very days, the first thing we were taught, this that I can recollect, was about being inside the Lord and the Lord being inside of us and, and what that actually meant. We looked at it primarily from a Pauline point of view. But tonight we're going to look at it from a, maybe a different point of view. You are the righteousness of God in Christ, for instance. 
but we probably don't give a lot of thought to why we are the righteousness of God in Christ and what that really means. And what that really means in all of its fullness, and we don't have time to go into all of the angles of it, but what it really means, what you know to be true, is that you are not just orphans left here on the planet, but you have been endued and empowered by the self-same spirit that Jesus himself carried, and that you've been left here as his legitimate representatives and authorities here on the earth. You are the body to the head, but the body is never separate from the head. You are, in a real way, him in your world. You are him. You are not broken. You're not defeated. You're not, even though you may be all those things at times, but you are not a part that's not quite useful and usable. You are intended to be activated and employed. Employed by the living Spirit of God to fulfill the call of God that he had himself. These things I know you know, but we're going to go back over some of them. So we're going to look at them primarily uh, from John's point of view tonight. And uh, I'll just say three or four scriptures and see if there's any good points that come out of them that are helpful to you. I hope that there are. But uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I had never counted it up. I never paid attention to it. But from John chapter 12 through John chapter 20 at least, it's hard to tell where 21's timeline exactly fits in. It's shortly thereafter. But from John chapter 12 through 20, which is nine chapters, which is almost half the gospel of John, happened in eight days. It happened in eight days. So the three other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell us what Jesus did, and they tell us what Jesus taught, but the Gospel of John tells us basically why he did it. It doesn't major so much on the other. It tells us what the point to all of it was, and it culminates, we might not read this, but it culminates in in chapter 17 about being perfectly joined together in him. It culminates in that, in that, okay, now we are being melded together in one. So we're going to look at that relationship. We're going to look at what that means. We're going to look at the usage of the name. We sang about the name tonight, but we don't always employ the name properly. Most of us were taught this, and I may have mentioned this to some of you in years gone by, so forgive me if I seem redundant. I'm just trying to find my sea legs here. But, but in year, years gone by, uh, we were taught that using the name of Jesus was like signing the check endorsing the check and having the capacity to draw on heavenly accounts. And while there's some truth in that, uh, that's not the bigger truth and that's not the whole truth. The name of Jesus is not a, a phrase that we can use magically and hope that somehow things turn out right because we've said it. And I've done this. I've done this because I get into situations where people have expectations that go beyond my faith. You should, you should be very guarded about using the name of Jesus uh, just casually. You should be very careful about using it beyond your faith, although it has a power in itself, but that's not tonight's conversation. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the book of Acts, I think the name of Jesus, if I remember correctly, is mentioned eight times. There's the name of Jesus that is spoken to set people free in the name of Jesus, rise up and be healed. But there's not one prayer offered in the book of Acts that's singled out as signed with the name of Jesus. It's not, not one prayer there. It's, just, it's an expression. It's a, it's a uh, 
signature of God that says this is the will of God and this is, this is what's going to happen in the name of Jesus I declare and I decree this to be. So we've so often reduced it to the way we just sign our prayers off as in like formally and officially that it's done. And there's, there's just more to it than that idea. Yeah. Oh, a story about myself I suppose would be appropriate here. Uh, some of you know this story. I don't, I don't have any problem telling you where I've, I've run aground. <laughs> Most of the time, anyway. Uh, about 10 years ago, we had a fellow in our church that was, that was ill. And it was a sickness unto death. And I knew early on in the game that it was a sickness unto death. And uh, I, I knew that it was a sickness unto death because he was, he was a great word of faith believer, but he was unwilling to look too deeply into his own heart and life. And there were just things in his life that needed to be corrected. So I went over to his house and I prayed with him and I, I, I prayed with him almost every day for, for probably eight months and read the scriptures to him and encouraged him. And the church prayed with him, church stood with him. In the end, he died. And in, when he died, uh, you know, it was not unexpected. Believe it or not, we were mustering up faith even in this moment. We were pushing ahead. But I went on a holiday thereafter, and, and uh, just right after that, just that times coincided. And I was sitting there, and I was reading my Bible, and I was praying. And the Lord Jesus said to me, he said, don't ever use my name like that again. Don't ever use my name frivolously again. And... Like, I didn't want to move because I knew I was in trouble. It's like, I'm glad this is over so we can talk about this. Don't ever do that again. I said, well, Lord, I, I had to try and lead people into faith and do this. He said, he said you, you misused my name because you knew what the end result was going to be if certain things did not change. And he said, you did not address those things. I said, I could not address those things, Lord, because this brother would not let me bring up any conversation that he did not want to have. He kicked me out of his house once. He kicked my friend Jim Randall out of his house with me once for just even looking like we might knew there might be something over the hill to discuss. So I said, Lord, I could not bring that up. I said, if I'd have brought that up, he'd have kicked me out of the house. He said, no, you're, you're not judging this properly. He said... He probably would have kicked you out. He probably would have made you go away. He said, but the only way he could have gotten restored and gotten healed would have been if he would have allowed someone in to deal with the issues of his heart. Is this going over your head? Nope. To deal with the issues of his heart. And I said, well, he would have been mad. He said, of course he would have been. <laughs> of course he would have been. He said, but he would have been accountable for what he heard. This way, he was not accountable for what he heard. He said, you took the easy way out. You took the easy way out and did not tell him the truth. And your entire purpose for being on the planet is to tell people what I say the truth is. Whether they choose to deal with it or not is their responsibility. It's your job to always speak the truth in my name. So... I don't feel like it's my fault the brother passed on. I don't, I don't feel like it's my I don't feel like I did anything wrong. What I didn't do 
was face hard issues in the name of Jesus that he would have had to face and had to deal with. What I chose to do instead was just simply say, I hope somehow in the name of Jesus this works out. Can I still talk? I don't know if you've ever done this. Maybe you've never done this. Maybe you've never signed your prayer off very frivolously or casually like that, like it was a formula, but it's not a formula. Because it isn't, it isn't just the usage of that name that works. It's being in that name. So in John chapter 14, verse number 13 says, something you know, very familiar. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, it doesn't say, I will do this just so you can have whatever you prayed for granted. He said, this I will do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. So the implication is, is that when you ask anything in the name of Jesus, you're doing it to bring glory to God. Let me say it again. That the implication is, that's, that's one sentence right there, is that you're not just asking You're not just asking and then hiding the fact that God did something for you. You're asking because the whole purpose of the asking and the granting of the prayer is that somehow you're leaning into the purpose of God that other people see so that God gets the glory for what he did in your life. Do I need to say that again? The idea is not just so that you're asking, so that you're signing it off and saying, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it, he says. It's not just so you can have what you want. It's so that God gets the glory for your answered prayer. So God can't get the glory for your answered prayer if your prayer is done strictly alone or privately or nobody else even knows about it. This is, this is part of the diplomatic core. The job that you fulfill is to live a life where people see your faith. So he goes on the next verse, and and I quoted that. He says, if you ask me anything in my name, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's implied in the previous verse, but he says, if you ask me anything in my name. So if you just stop and think about it, you can't ask him something in his name that, uh, that contradicts his nature or his character. The best way to interpret the thought, you can find translations that do this, but it says, if you ask me anything that's within my name. That's within my name. I will do it. Remember, he spent three and a half years demonstrating and explaining to them who he was. So they know at this point in the game, they know who Jesus is. They know what he thinks like. They know how he behaves. They know what he's going to do in any given circumstance. He's already sent them out once, at least once, and said, go out and do these things in my name. So it's not just saying it's some magical phrase that they use. He's saying, you ask these things that are within the context of who I am, and if you're going through your life and you're doing what I'm doing, how can it be different? He himself said, I only say and do what I hear my father say and see him do. So you've got the same, you've got the same criterion held over your own head. Anything you see him do... Anything you hear him say, you're entitled to invoke that name because you are in his name. You are within his will. You are within his framework. He's he's talking these things to his disciples. He's not saying these truths to people who are casual believers. This is not the crowd. This is not the masses. This is not the sick. 
This is not the broken. These are the more or less whole. These are the more or less useful, disciplined souls that are going to be used to go on into his future. And he's, he, when he said, it is finished, on the cross, he died and went to heaven. But he said in John chapter 17, I've accomplished the work that you've given me to do. And that accomplishment was building that great church of 11 good people, one doubtful person. The work that itself was, was putting those people in a position so that they could be trusted. He couldn't even go pay for the sins of the world until what he left behind could be trusted to understand and know what their role was, who they were, and what they were supposed to do, and inside that context of what they had learned, what they had experienced, where they had been touched. They could go forth and he said, whatever you ask, whatever you ask, and you know what you can get away with, whatever you ask within my name, I'll do it. Not so that you can have it, but so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. Now, this doesn't mean God won't meet your needs. This doesn't mean God doesn't care about your life. But your ministry is exactly the same thing as my ministry is, which is exactly the same thing as his ministry was, was to go into all of the earth and make the population in your little world aware and accountable to the truth that there is a God who has his own standards, who has an unequivocal truth, that you have to be measured by. This is, this is discipleship talk. This is, this is the kind of talk you give to people who come to church week after week, year after year. It's the kind of things you say to people who have said, I want more of God, who have said, I want to do the will of God, but requires an understanding that maybe the person in charge of the relationship has to shift from being me and my brokenness and my needs to being him and his declarations and his purposes. Let's do read John chapter 17. Not the whole chapter. John chapter 17. And uh, verse number 20. Everything I'm going to say tonight can be summed up and probably three prepositions, three little words within, which we just saw over in, uh, in John chapter 14. You ask anything within my name, it's inside of my name, is what the preposition in there means. Uh, by and large, is what it means. And it's going to be another preposition in, that's in that same category there. But the big one is into. Into. And in, in and into sometimes get confused in English, but they're, they got real differences. So in John chapter 17, 20, we're getting down to cases here. And Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now we read that scripture and we think that that scripture says, who will believe on me through their word. But it's a, it's a potent little preposition and it means in two. And it means who will believe into me, as in moving from the outside of me and coming into the inside of me. In fact, it goes on, says four or five other things. In fact, let's read them out, and I'll ask for these only, but also for those who will believe into me, who will believe into me through their word. That's exactly what I'm trying to do tonight. 
What I'm trying to do tonight is reason with you. What I'm trying to do tonight is bring enough spiritual weight to bear on you so that you understand that however close you are to Jesus, that whatever there is that's keeping you from, from being so united to him that there is no distinctives, from being so inside of him that your, that your lack of tithing or your, your anger or your fears or the obstacles, the rocks, the rough spots that stand in between, your... your uh, Somebody help me out. Your jealousy, your envy, your strife, your busyness, your, your shame, your guilt, your fear of knowing that if you gave yourself to him completely, that he would change your personality. With the last of the day, the only thing that you've got that's really you is your soul. It's your personality. And you say, if I get so close to him that he can begin to touch into my inner fears, into my inner strengths, into my inner weaknesses, if he can reach down inside and touch those boundaries and barriers where I've said, I won't ever do this again. I won't ever put myself in that place again. I won't ever, I won't ever trust anybody again. If I, if I do that, He's going to change me. He's going to make me like him. And what I really want him to do is clean me up. I want him to heal me up. But I want him to leave my me intact. And I want him to let me follow him about 30 feet behind. If he needs a glass of water, I'll run and get him a drink. But I don't want to get up there and smell anybody's breath. I don't want to get up there and smell the sweat. I don't want to get up there and see the fear. I don't want to get up there so close that it turns to me to have to have a word for an answer. That it turns to me to have to be the one that intervenes. Well, he says, you know, you can't do that anyway by yourself, but that's not really what the point of the exercise is. The point of the exercise is, is that we would become Perfectly one, which means we're not perfectly one. We have to become perfectly one. We're not one just because we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We become perfectly one when we allow him into our heart, into our life, day by day, over years, where we reject him, where we move away. If we don't reject him and move away, we reject him and each other and move away. That's the horrible thing about coming to church is that it says in 1 John, it says, we're the children of God now. Yeah. We are now. Beloved, we don't know what we're going to be when he comes back, but we know whatever we're going to be, we're going to be like him because we'll see him as he is. Yeah, well, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that all with an open face, an unveiled face, open eyes, we're beholding him and we're being Process by process, year by ugly year, sermon by sermon, relationship by relationship, at least given the chance to be transformed from one image of glory to another image of glory. This is what I'm talking about. You may have gotten everything there was from God to get about God when you got born again, but it wasn't full grown. It wasn't fully ripe. It wasn't bearing the fruit in your life that it needs to bear. It isn't bearing the fruit in my life that it needs to bear. 
he's making a strong point. And he's saying that the things that stand in between me and you keep us from becoming perfectly joined together, perfectly completed together in one. The things that stand in between me and you, some of them you don't see. So I'm going to have Ron to say something to you. Because who, do, who is it you don't really want to hear from here? I don't want, I don't want to hear from Rhonda. Good, we're going to use Rhonda. <laughs> we're going to use Rhonda. We're going to use Tia to push your buttons. Yeah. Best thing you can do is say, Lord, just use whoever you want to to push any button you want to and hope that he has mercy on you. Yeah. Hope that he doesn't use your spouse. Or your spouse's friends. It's even worse. Because they've been talking together. They both feel this way about you. The thing is, I have a revelation of Jesus. And you have one. But yours is different than mine. Yours is illuminated to you based on the circumstances and events in your life. Yours isn't any better than mine. It's not any worse than mine. It's just a different part of the picture. And I can't know him for who he is. I can't know him completely just by looking in the Bible. Jesus himself said, you search the scriptures thinking you're going to find salvation in them. You're going to find eternal life in them, but you won't even come to me. So church is filled with all sorts of people who are like living scriptures. They got some problems, but they're like living scriptures to help you come to him. To help you move towards him. It's the best favor he could do for you. Is put you in a group of imperfect people. To help you become something different than what you were. Now it's easy to harden your heart. It's easy to say, you know, I can just, I can just step over that. I can just step, you know, I really don't want to get that close anyway. There's, there's, you know, all right, 10 feet. I'll negotiate with you. I'll get to 10 feet. But he's saying, into. Into me. We'll read it down through just to get it all out there. It says uh, in verse 20 again, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe into me through their word. So that, verse 21, they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me. So you can't be one unless you're into him. And I in you, and this is the regular in, that they also may be in, regular in, us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. That word in, E-I-S, that word in, it's not in the English translation, but that's, that's what they're endeavoring to do by saying becoming perfectly one. When you want to think about into, it means to become perfectly one. There are other words there to modify it, to, to add to the meaning, but that's, that's the process of becoming perfectly one. Uh, that's the lesson you're taught in marriage. That's the lesson you're taught in marriage, and most of us quit school in grade eight. The idea of marriage isn't so that you'd be happy and be fulfilled. 
That's a consequence of becoming one. That's not, that's not the goal, that's the fruit. The goal is to become perfectly one. The idea of having a family isn't so you can feel good about yourself for having a family. The idea of having a family is so you can see the, how the oneness of God is shown through many. And so all, all of life, the, the idea behind church isn't just so you can come hear the Word of God preached or so you can have a pastor that he has a job or, or support missions. None of that's the point. The point is, is so that you can come and become perfectly one. But to become perfectly one requires you to be fully engaged. Like pressing into it. We think pressing means we're going to press into something in praise and worship. We think pressing means we might have to press past some barriers with our financial giving. But it also means I'm going to press through in this relationship with these people because I know that in this relationship there's some facet of the glory of God he wants to illuminate my heart and mind with that I won't see if I don't see it in Rhonda or Tia or John. That I'm missing it by just reading my Bible. I need to get it from Kim. It comes up when you step on each other's toes. It comes up when you get your feelings hurt and want to go a different direction. It comes up when you find out nobody in the building is any more perfect than you are. So you think, I should go somewhere else. But that's not really the cure. The cure for a bad marriage isn't, and forgive me if this this hurts because I don't mean for it to be, uh, denigrating anybody's condition or situation in life. I mean, I just, I just figured this out now, and I stayed married all these years by the grace of God. But, but the, 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 the cure for a bad marriage isn't a new marriage. The cure for a new marriage, for a good marriage, is to just make up your mind to be happy and find God, where God's hiding at in that relationship. Because he is in there. That's, that's the remedy. That's the point. So, the longer you're together, the more you become one. And you become perfectly one. So that the boundaries and the barriers of who's the head and who's not the head, who's the follower, those things get obscured because after a while you take on each other's personalities. After a while you take on each other's attributes and characters. After a while you know what the other person wants, likes, and believes in. That's being in that marriage. And that's being in him. And when you say, I'm asking in the name of Jesus. It's like I'm living this in the name of my marriage. I'm disciplining my children in the name of my marriage. I'm, I'm living my love for my wife in the name of my marriage. I'm living this out according to the word of God, according to what's laid out there. I'm living up to what that is. You've got a right to expect it to bear fruit. You've got a right to invoke that name and say, in the name of Jesus. My marriage is going to work. And he says, of course it is, because you've suffered, you've sacrificed, you've hurt. You've done a lot of things wrong. You've done some things right. You've stayed in it. And because you've stayed in it, you keep pushing into it. You keep pushing into it. You don't get your way. You keep pushing into it until finally you move past all those boundaries and barriers that kept you out. So you can become perfectly one. Now let me ask you a question. Don't raise your hands. How many... 
how to ask the question. <laughs> what if <laughs> we imagine <laughs> uh, don't ask my wife's friend. Uh, how, how many people do you know that have been married for 50 years that love each other more than when they started? How many people that have been, there should be. But that wasn't cheap, was it? That wasn't easy, was it? You probably never argued or anything. <laughs> you probably never disagreed. Even in the body of Christ, there are people who have been married for 25, 35, 45, and 55 years that have made a truce to get along. They've made a truce to get along with each other, but they're not still growing in love and in grace towards each other. It's the same way in church. It's the same way with many of us in our own personal walk with the Lord. Because you can be a believer for a long time. See, I, got, I live in a dangerous position. Mm-hmm. By and large, John's in a dangerous position. Brownie and Gene are in a dangerous position because they probably know more than you about the Bible and about, about how to live things out spiritually because they've been doing this like we have for like 45 years. We're not particularly smart, not particularly spiritual. You just learn some things after 45 years. So it'd be pretty easy for, for us to come along in our relationship with the Lord and not change another thing because we got life working. It'd be pretty easy to come along and not change another thing in our marriage because we got marriage working. It's an easy thing to come along and not change anything in family because the kids are grown. It's, it's working. But to really become perfectly one, completely one, as one as you can possibly be, as one as the situation will actually allow, requires you to work at it, all the time to constantly be moving towards the ideal. One more portion of scripture. First John chapter five. I made some uh, remarks to you early on when I first began a half an hour ago about uh, uh, about using the name of Jesus as more than just uh, uh, a chanting phrase. To use the name of Jesus being within the name of Jesus. And this is probably the best picture of it that that I can see. I told you that uh, chapter 12 through 20, those nine chapters, covered eight days. If we take it at face value that this is the same John that wrote that John, and there's no reason not to, then we're we're reading, we're reading something that the fellow that was there 60 years earlier wrote after he lived his life in ministry. 60 years later that he's he's lived it out, and and this is what he understood Jesus to be saying. He said in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. It's the same in. It means believe into the name of the Son of God. 
It's not an uncommon word. It's not, not a particularly fancy word. It's just a preposition. It means from going from the outside, penetrating through something, and getting inside. And it really does mean that. It means like going from the outside, pushing through a barrier, and getting inside. So he said, I'm writing these things to you who believe into the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, he might be saying that, that I wrote this whole letter so you could recognize yourself in it and know that you have eternal life. But he's also saying in this little phrase right here that, that by the fact that you're pressing into him, this is how you know you have eternal life. You'll never completely arrive spiritually, I don't think, on this side of eternity. No reason to think so, but no reason not to strive to enter in. Entering into eternal life means, here's how you know if you're doing okay, if you're growing and if you're changing. You ought to be able to look around and see regularly in your life, certainly every year, have I grown? Have I changed? Am I still stumbling over the same things? Because if I'm growing and changing, I'm the only way I can do it is by pushing into him. I can't change myself. You can't change you. Even, even in Romans 12 where it talks about being renewed in our mind and being transformed, you can't actually renew your own mind. You can avail yourself to the information, but it's the Spirit of God himself that changes your mind. You can't change your mind. You can try and make yourself, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to do better, but it's not going to work. It's him that changes you from the inside out. And that's what that into means. It means moving through a barrier, coming inside something, and then working from the inside out. So he says, I write these things to you who believe into the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, this is the fellow who was in all of those chapters in the Gospel of John. He didn't say this is the confidence that we have if we ask anything in his name that he hears us. He said, he just simplified it and said, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So somehow whatever you ask for in the names got to be in the will. And you know what? The only way you can find that out is if you press into him. That's the only way you can possibly find that out. Because you can find a word that tells you to give. You can find a word that tells you to save. You can find a word that tells you to go. You can find a word that tells you to stay. You can find a word that tells you that will, that will pet any bias or fear you've got and make you feel like it's okay not to obey God because he doesn't want your feelings to be hurt. You can find any word that you want to that will legitimize your action. But the only way you can know if you've wisely and appropriately applied that word is if you're so busy pressing into him that your own ambitions, your own drives, your own prejudices have been put aside. Yeah, only the impartial can know the will of the Lord. To the place to where you can trust that he's leading and guiding and speaking to you. He says later on that if we have this confidence, then we know that we already have the things we ask for. 
The key to a successful prayer life is in your relationship with the Lord and in knowing before you ever open your mouth what his will is because you're so close to him that you can see what he sees and judge it as he judges it. That's the key to having that kind of place where you can walk off in peace even without the thing you've asked for in your hand, knowing that it's been granted because you knew it was in his will, you knew that you prayed it the right way, you knew that you applied yourself the way he wants you to apply it. This, this is not something you pick up by going to church. The, these things, not, not me, not my, not my sermon, I don't mean that. I mean this truth that this book is written in, that the Bible itself is written in, requires you to avail yourself to it so that the Spirit of God can illuminate and lead you to a place to where you can become more like Him every year of your life. It takes work. It takes effort. It doesn't happen because you're busy and go to church and hear a sermon. It it doesn't happen because somebody lays hands on you and prays for you. They may have everything in the world you need, but if your head and your heart are cluttered up with the rest of this world, we could read the rest of the paragraph, but it'd be too many thoughts happening at one time. If you just get so busy with life that he becomes a second-tier relationship, if you get so busy with life that he's an add-on, he's the upgrade. If you get so busy in life that you never get past thinking his purpose is to perfect your life and you lose the truth that your reason for existence is to fulfill his will, then you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied. And you'll never feel like your spiritual walk ever did for you what it was intended to do. Praise the Lord. Stand up with me if you would. That's good. Jane, you have anything else you want to say? Brian, you have anything you want to say? John, you have anything you want to say? Hmm. You want to say something? I was, I was planning my next step as I stepped up the stairs. Do you have anything you want to say? Because I'd like to hear it. Rodney, you have anything you want to say? Uh, well, praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, because we do know it to be your will, that we all move closer and draw closer, unobstructed, becoming more and more like you, moving into who you are. Let us be partakers of your ministry more fully, more completely. Let us be partakers of your life here on this earth. Let us ask for things that bring honor and glory unto you. Teach us to pray. And while you do, let us not be anxious or afraid that our needs, our life, our health suffers or lacks. But let us be confident that because you know we have needed these things, you perfect those things that concern us and you take great care of us. We're thankful to you for that. But let us step farther out and farther into the call into the purpose, into the plan.
that Jesus originally came to in the earth to make men and women aware, boys and girls aware of the great God who will judge the earth. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen, that you would comfort, that you'd renew and refresh your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's the liturgical part of the service. Say, Say this with me, if you will. Father, in the name of Jesus, I commend my life to you, my time, my money, my energy, and my gifts. I move towards you, regardless of how far away I am now. I move towards you to have that eternal life to serve you, and to fulfill all your purpose and plan. Use me to your fullest expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you all very much.